Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. How are you doing tonight? All right. Are you ready for an amazing concert? Okay. My name is Russell Steinberg. If for those of you who don't know me, and I'm a composer and an avid listener like all of you. And we're in for a real treat right now, much more interesting than me talking to you. We have our, you know, our uh, conductor, maestro, and uh, soloist today. Would you please, uh, you guys, come on up here. Let's have a big hand, please, for Johnny Thibaudet and Stefan Deneuve. Hello again. <laughs> Hello again. Oh, wait, you want to just... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I figured you should be near the piano. You know, you might want to... Good evening, everybody. Bonsoir. <laughs> you can play the opening, uh, the opening of the concerto. First of all, what, it's just delightful to have both of you. Thank you for, for uh, you, devoting your time so that we can get a little insight into the uh, concert tonight. I would like to know, could we start by um, going into the music? and talking about the concerto itself. One of the things I noticed, because I haven't heard it, but I've looked at the score, is that the piano has a large role in this piece, but it's not a traditional kind of concerto, uh, you know, opposed to the orchestra thing. It, looked, it doesn't seem like that. I would like to know, what do you think about the That's role right. of it in this piece? Um, actually, it is slightly tone poemish, mm -hmm. in the sense that there is a narrative. Uh, it's inspired by the Catholic Rosary, uh, you know, which is a, a way to, to help to pray um, in the Catholic uh, religion. And so it's divided, like the Rosary, in five parts, mm -hmm. uh, but it's uninterrupted. So it's really one uh, long concerto. H how long is it, actually? 20? I think under 30 minutes, yeah, 25, 27, 25 minutes, like that, yeah. yeah. Five movements, but it's all continuous, right? Exactly. And um, indeed, it relates uh, to the life of Jesus Christ, and it depicts five events uh, in the life of Jesus Christ which are linked to light and therefore uh, it's, it's, it has a, it's not a, a story, you know, you know, it's not describing a precise story but it is inspired by those events and that's why it's not a typical concerto right. indeed. It's so more it's like meditations on these tableaux, is that the idea a little bit? I think also the, I think you were referring that the piano is, I mean, it's very prominent. You'll yes. hear it all the time. Sometimes it's alone. It doesn't have like, like a cadenza to say like mm -hmm. in some but it's very prominent. It certainly is, is there all the time. It's just, I think, sound-wise, sometimes the piano is almost part of the orchestra. It's kind of a concertante. It's like yeah. a color, an added color. But sometimes it's, it's coming out all the... It, it just really depends. But I think that's the character of the piece. It's a concertante, right? It's a concertante, but it's still a concerto in the sense that it's very virtuosic, mm -hmm. that uh, it, it, it does have still some moment where you, you have a kind of a clear musical gesture, be it a perpetual mobile, for instance, mm -hmm. be it uh, yeah. a slow movement at some point, or you have a slow movement. Mm -hmm. You don't have indeed, you're right, you don't have a cadenza per right. se, mm -hmm. but a kind of moment where the piano and the percussions and the harp play alone for a while, just mm -hmm. themselves, and, and that's a very meditative moment, but it, it has the function somehow of um, cadenza. The yeah, color, I, I'm sorry, go on. Yeah. I, I think really, at the end of the day, you, you're going to see, I think this piece is really about the power of spirituality. It's beyond any religion, it's beyond anything. It's mm -hmm. just the power of the music, and you'll feel that incredible. Uh, at moment, it's, it's mesmerizing. It, I think it's some hypnotizing moments as well. There's some time where 
it feels like time is completely stopping and you'll hear the piano doing beautiful sounds on the on the treble of the piano and there's some chord in the strings uh, so that's medi very meditative but it, it really is an incredible piece that touched both of us very much we've done it quite a bit together um, mm. the piece was I premiered the piece in 2011 and since 2011 I performed it tonight will be the 38th time oh that gosh. I'm playing this piece oh my gosh. And yeah. that's quite unusual and wonderful for a piece of a living composer to be performed so many times. I'm fascinated that it's piano concerto number three. We don't yeah. see many 21st, 20th or 21st concertos, uh, <laughs> century composers with piano concerto number three. Yes, and it's called Mysteries of Light. I yeah. forgot if we said it, but it's important, yeah. And it's not the last one because James yes. Macmillan is not old. He's 50-something. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I hope there will be at least as many as Beethoven. Aha, uh -huh. we've got at least two more, you're exactly. sure. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. When you, uh, it, you know, since you all, you all, you know, your uh, piano concertos are a big part of your life, of course, and I'm sure for yours too. So Most is, of the time, yes. Is there, is there a, is there a um, different way of approaching this piece or anything un unusual th than other concertos? Certainly the orchestration is so imaginative, the way it starts with the bells it and is, everything. It is a unique piece as we described, mm -hmm. and I think what you need for this piece is really to have a certain collaboration linked to spirituality. Mm -hmm. So once again, whatever you believe, uh, whatever you believe, you just need to at least um, believe in music mm -hmm. and in miracles of music. And, and, and I think our work was really together to, uh, to try to, to understand what is the meaning. Because the most important for me part of music is what it means. Mm -hmm. What are the, Behind the, notes. A, the emotions you want to convey, uh, and, and that was great because Johnny and I, we are very close. We, are, we know each other since many years now, and uh, I can even reveal that you were my best man at my wedding. <laughs> okay. uh, yes, he Wonderful. helped to find my wife, uh, actually, it's true. So, because um, I met her the week I was engaged with Jean-Yves in Toronto. So without this engagement with Jean-Yves, I would have not met my wife that way. <laughs> and, and let's say that it's great that we can um, uh, share this connection and this friendship over a piece which is so personal. It's so really spiritual and, and I feel really that we, uh, we understand this piece, if I may say, the same way. And it's very important, I think, in that piece in particular. There's a certain piece of the repertoire that you can play, you know, it's, it's fine. We, we find our way in between somewhere. But this one, mm -hmm. it's a very particular and very special piece and it's true that when we do it, there's, there's something, I mean, what Stefan does is, of course, he has to convey all of that to the orchestra and try to give them all this. Uh, Sometimes he talks with them, he tries to explain to them what the piece means to us, what, what Macmillan wanted, what, what, because we spoke, asked him lots of questions. So he shares that with the orchestra. There's, there's also a certain, sometime we have a little piece of paper that we printed that still tells about the mysteries of light and those, mm. the rosary and we put it, in, you know, and we give it to the orchestra. I think it's important that everybody understand what, what the piece is, yeah, is context about, what, is what, so what inspired these days, it. That's and, so important. And, you know, Macmillan is um, yeah. he's a, himself, he's a very religious man and mm -hmm. faith is one of the most important things in his life and he wrote a lot of choral pieces, uh, of course, for the church and all, right. all kind of things. Dominican, and, I was reading. Yeah. And, all, and all, I mean, he wrote lots of fantastic music. I mean, really, his music is a lot of, of course, the percussion piece is very famous, but also uh, opera, I mean, so much. He's such a really great composer. And when I was asked uh, at that time in 2009, they started asking me if I was interested. I mean, I looked a little bit into it and I said immediately yes. I thought it was the most exciting 
project that, that I could have, and I'm so happy that I learned the piece. It sounds like there's a lot of gravity and beauty that we're going to experience in this. We just, I think we just love it. We just thought we really believe in this piece. We are completely convinced and moved by this piece. It touches us mm. so deeply that we like to share it and hopefully every time we play it, it touches the audience as well. One thing for sure is I see, I see it as, when I look through the score, I just see color and imagination through everything. And the it's rest of the concert, is that, was that one sure. of the reasons for pairing it yes. with all the French Actually, music? It is, it is, uh, it's funny because in a way, uh, I mean, we are French, uh, as, you, as you can hear, <laughs> at least with my accent. I, can, I, cannot, I have no accent. I cannot hide it. <laughs> but, um, but the fact is... I thought you were Scotch. Uh, okay, really? You just have me totally fooled. <laughs> Uh, uh, I live in Scotland, actually, but uh, but no, the, the the thing is, uh, it's it's a music which is not French, but has a lot of um, colors which are quite close to Messian music sometimes, yes. to a, um, some slightly Debussy suspended mm. um, moments, and the piano writing too. In yeah. the piano writing, and and it's it's written as well uh, with layers. Yes. So that's a system that Mac Milan is using a lot, which is that he will uh, have parallel on, on each other, different layers of music. So some can be of perpetuum mobile, and at the same time, you have a chorale in the brass section, quite religious, mm -hmm. and at the same time, some screaming melodies in the high uh, woodwinds or high strings. And, and, and what is fascinating is he's so good, he, he hears so well what he wants, that yeah. you can really hear all those layers, and your brain is... <laughs> is, is attracted for one and another, and, and, and it's a... It's, a it's like a kind of counterpoint, isn't it? Having exactly, all of these exactly. simultaneously. It's, it's very exhilarating. It's a bit like a, you know, a, a f when you write the fugue of Bach, when you hear all those different voices one after the other, and everything works horizontally. So you could, which I did during the rehearsal, you could take uh, uh, those layers one by one and, mm. and play by the orchestra, and each of them is interesting. I think you, you, know, you gave us a really important key when you mentioned Messian. Because I was thinking, there's a motto in the piece. It begins, da 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 And when, when it's harmonized, I just realized some of those harmonies are Messian type of harmonies in a way. So even though it's not a Messian piece, it seems like that might have been something that, you know, that religiousness, that religiosity might have been part in, of it. In their religion, definitely, there's something where they really, really meet. And Messian had this fascination for bird songs. Yeah. <coughs> so I think in Macmillan, it's not bird songs, but <coughs> it's more like raindrops or whatever you want. But he does use the treble of the piano doing That's those right. figures the same. So it's true. I mean, there is there is certain thing that, I mean, I never liked really to compare mm -hmm. the composers. But you're right. There is a certain uh, link and, and thing. <coughs> thank yeah. you very much. Uh, between all this music, it's true. Is there anything in terms of the piano part that's particularly different than other works that you do that we might want no, to support? No, it's very, it's, it's difficult, it's very demanding, yeah. but it's well written for the piano. Does he actually, I never asked him, does he actually play himself, Jimmy, does he play the piano? A little bit. A little bit. But, no, but, but it's uh, well written. I remember, that I think it was one or two passages that I discussed with him and we changed a little bit, but I told him that was feeling a bit awkward, but I was very, very pianistic. He wrote a piece for me, actually, Jimmy Macmillan, um, and called The Death of Oscar, mm -hmm. and quite a strong piece as well. And I was very surprised. He composed it um, in a, a house in the forest in Scotland. Mm. And I said, oh, and did you have a piano there? He said, no. So he composed the full piece without piano. And that was actually amazing because... Mm, very rare. Yeah, because really his music sounds so well and there is such great harmonies Gutsy. that to imagine them without a piano is quite yes. a tour de force. 
And I know he has a piano at home. I, I've been at his place a few times. But um, he doesn't use it a lot, the piano. He's really uh, composing just from what he hears in his yeah, That's really interesting. Yeah. I, you know, last time I was here, I was lecturing on the Schoenberg Piano Concerto. And one of the things some people say is there's a lot of parts in there that are not written very well or easy for piano, and you have to work with that. But it I happens very often, uh, unfortunately. You know, piano music, not, not everybody was Liszt and Rachmaninoff and Saint-Saëns. Yeah. So sometimes composers just don't, they write music, but they don't really know how it feels at the piano. What I can tell you is that Jean-Yves is playing every single note exactly as it is written. Mm -hmm. There's no improvisation or no kind of uh, free clusters. It's extremely written. It's extremely precisely written. And, uh, and I'm amazed because you really play that. You listen to the orchestra so well. Mm. And uh, it's great. We don't need to look at each other. No. Actually, when we do music, we, we just, I mean, if we look at each other, it's not for musical reason. It's just uh, for communication, you know, just when we wanted to do something. Casey and then wants I to be best man again. Yeah. Ex voila. <laughs> but, uh, but musically, actually, it's all about huh. listening carefully. And, and Jean-Yves, he knows also the part of the orchestra so well. So mm. he knows exactly what to listen to and what to follow. Yeah, well, this is extraordinary because, you know, it's a 25-minute work, but I heard someone told me they were just excited all through the piece. One of the other things they said, not only that it's mystical, but it's just a very exciting piece of music. Mm. Oh, and, yes. Yeah. It ends, actually, the first theme that you, that you heard. The little motto. Jean-Yves will play the first theme. So this is actually a quote from Ave Maria. And the, I was the wondering piece, if it was a chant. It it's a, like it a plain chant. It's Ave Maria. Mm -hmm. And the piece starts with this uh, quote and ends in a triumphant way uh, uh, with, with this quote as well. Mm -hmm. and, um, right. and, and, and indeed, it's a, it's, a, it's a great ending. And, and the audience yesterday gave a very enthusiastic uh, standing yeah. ovation. So feel free. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is. And it, it, I think it's to use one of Messiaen's work. He sometimes wrote in his music, but it's the triumph of joy at the end. It's yeah, really he is writes joy. The joy is that mm -hmm. this incredible rejoicing. It just, it just, it just really is so. so that's yes. so great. You feel yes, like. and, and and you'll you'll hear that throughout the piece. It's buried in certain ways, and then it become it comes out. So you know, it's so important. I think when people hear a new piece of music, to have something to hold on to. to Actually, uh, before we're going to start playing the piece tonight on stage. We're going to have a little talk with, yes. with Stefan, so you'll, you'll hear again some of the things we said now. But, but, and I will show also some, some themes and some melodies on the piano. So I think it's important always to explain a little bit to the audience and, and also just share our you know, enthusiasm and views on the music. Because the fact is, this piece has so many different emotions, mm -hmm. really many, actually. You have really, I mean, struggling, pain, dance, joy. and. What I said to the orchestra is that, uh, during the rehearsal is that whatever we believe, you know, or not, by the way, um, we need to express something very special, this fervor which is in the piece. And uh, I said to them that myself, uh, I met in my life sometimes some priests uh, and their eyes and their smile, their smiles especially, I must say, this kind of peaceful smile impressed me so much yes, yes. and and it's very mysterious how a deep calm that's uh, uh, how you can get that sometimes through uh, through religion whichever it is and and we need that in this piece we need this kind of we need um, that in this life yeah. did you ever meet i never asked you did you ever meet messian uh, I, I heard him play mm -hmm. and i saw him in a concert uh, where he was listening to i was at a world premiere of a piece of Messian, but I never spoke to him. I never I spent quite, quite a lot of time with him. I was 
very privileged, and I played for him, and I learned with him, and his wife, of course, Yvonne Loriot, great pianist, uh, helped me a lot, and I went to their apartment in Paris. And this is one, one of the few people that I've met in my life that what you were saying is the same thing. He was, I think he was just living on a different spiritual level mm -hmm. than I am, at least. I mean, in a different time you could, sense, You could right? see that, exactly, he's, he was there, but sometimes he was not really there, but he was always, he had that incredible, yeah, it was beyond smiling, which is that, that, like an aura. I think you speak of aura, and I think some people have it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to. Really, uh, really, yeah. He really had. When you, when you see, um, I'm going this summer to in Italy to you know, the Benedictine monks, you know, people who spend their lives just praying every day, you, they have that, yeah. that different the role. And that's something, yeah. it's very yeah. powerful for us who live these frenetic course, urban lives uh, to experience is, that. Yeah. 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 Well, I think this piece is about that. So I hope tonight you'll experience something yeah. mystical and, and beautiful. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing it. And thanks for, for being willing to talk about thanks, the piece, because new music needs that. So please, thank you. Can. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, and good luck. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, you can just put it here. Yeah, thank you so much. Such a pleasure to meet you, Johnny. Yeah, good luck. Yeah. That's a thrill. Um, do you agree with me, Be being able to hear you know, get into the mind of uh, the artists and the fact that they're taking this time to tell us that in addition to all these notes and all the 10,000 decisions you'll know nothing about that, that have to do with putting a piece together, and believe me, this is a complicated piece, I can see from the score, their, their minds are on a very different level. They want you, hi there, <laughs> they want you to experience, they want you to experience this as a mystical uh, Thing. And it's very hard, I think, when you listen to a piece for the first time, especially a complicated one like this, because there's a lot of layers. So I would say, yes, focus on that opening. Because you'll hear that come out, and, and, and you'll hear it, you'll hear it, you'll hear it with all kinds of harmonies, parallel harmonies as well. Um, so this is an amazing concert we're going to hear because it's a, a series of very different pieces, and yet they all are tied together by the love of the orchestra, uh, the, the love of the instrumentation of the orchestra. And so a lot of this might be new music for, for you. I know uh, some of it is for me as well. So let me just talk about some of the different pieces. Let's talk about the Apostolia uh, by Britten. So this is a piece that comes from his opera, Peter Grimes. And um, how many of you know what Apostolia is? And how many people can spell Apostolia? <laughs> I, I want to see all those hands go down. No one knows how to spell Fasacalia. Okay, so what is a Fasacalia, sir? Okay, and that's right, to cover the change the scenery. That, that's, how, that's exactly what happens in this piece. It, it comes in within scene, between the scenes. But musically, Pasacalia is a particular kind of musical structure. Does anyone know what, the music, what a Pasacalia is in music? because it's kind of related to a, a structure called the chaconne. You've heard of the chaconne, like the Bach chaconne? A chaconne is a series of chords that repeats over and over. I just did a lecture on Shostakovich. And if you know the Shostakovich second piano trio, it starts like this. I'm playing it much faster. And then those eight chords repeat over and over. You know another chaconne, very, very famous, but it's not called a chaconne. <laughs> right? That's what we musicians call the Taco Bell canon. <laughs> yeah. 
And the cellists call it that because they have to play it over and over again. So they don't feel, it's good for a beginning cellist for their first week, but not so good if you've played cello more than a week. Um, so a pasacalia chords that repeat, a pasacalia, I mean a chacon is, a pasacalia is a bass line that repeats. Like if you know Purcell, uh, uh, you know. You know, and then you have a melody that keeps changing. So Britain has created a pasacalia, and, and it's a very dramatic thing. Even though it's at the beginning of Peter Grimes, between the first and second act, it, it's, it's very emotional because it kind of encapsulates all the drama and tragedy. He's, he's walking with his new apprentice, his first one died, and uh, he's, you know, under shady circumstances, and uh, people are not happy about him taking on another apprentice who is about to die too. <laughs> and he walks him up to the hut, uh, their hut together over a cliff. And so the, it's, it's kind of, it's definitely tragic. And so the Pasacalia works really well. What's interesting about this Pasacalia is its is number of beats. Can we sing that? Okay, let me play it one more time. Ready, and. La, 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 la. Not a lot of promise, right? Not, it, it doesn't feel like Beethoven, you know. But what's interesting is the number of beats. Now, I'm going to count the beats while you do it. Ready? That's your note. Ready, and. La, two. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. So it has eleven beats. Eleven is not how music usually works. So with that, what's so clever about it is it allows him to repeat the Pasacalia in an uneven way while the phrases go over it. And what's so clever about this is you really don't notice the Pasacalia completely. It, it sounds, each time it repeats, the music sounds different. Okay, so let's... Let's, Kevin, this first, um, by the way, um, please give a hand to Kevin Wapner, our, mu our engineer, who I can never, yay, Kevin. I never acknowledge enough. So this beginning, it starts very quietly with just the double basses doing the Pasacalia. Can you hear it? There we go, Kevin. Let me, I'll, so let me go back to the beginning. Repeats. Now, that continues through the entire piece, but you're not going to notice. The next thing we have is a beautiful melody on the viola, and it starts very low. It's it's a beautiful soliloquy, and then it, you're not even. It sounds almost like a cello, and then it gets up into the violin register, but all all over this pasacalia. descent.
high that is for viola? I play viola, I don't play that high. <laughs> okay, then the woodwinds come in with a fanfare motive, and it's, they're in a different key. And so this creates a very interesting tension between the key of the Pasacalia and the key of the, of the woodwinds. It's like two different worlds. Interesting, isn't it? You're hearing two different worlds. Okay, then the brass come in. It's, it's like two different emotions simultaneously. This is why we love music, right? Isn't that incredible? You've got this tragedy in the basses doing the, the Pasacalia, and then a totally different, very, totally different kind of texture, lively texture above it. Okay, then after the brass, you get chords in the winds. Notice that these are all variations, right? They're variations of the same tune we hear in the violas. I'm walking you through the piece. A string melody. With the winds above. So now there's three worlds three different worlds of rhythm all breathing in a different way then, then uh, with the brass Okay, getting the idea, the high strings and winds. Getting the idea, and then the, the big climax. And then, and then the way it finishes, the ostinato, the passacaglia finishes, and then you hear a celesta, and it's magical. You know what a celesta is, right? It's a keyboard, but it's not really a keyboard. It's bells that you play with a keyboard. 
It's, the, it's most famous to me, for me, in Mahler's Song of the Earth, but also um, in Bartok's Strings, Percussion, Celeste. In fact, I, I actually have a little, this is how Bartok uses it after the end of the first movement, at the end of the first movement of his um, music for strings, percussion, and celeste. Do you know that great piece? How many of you know it? Well, some of you. Great piece. If you don't know it, go, go out and get Bartok music for strings, percussion, and celeste. And it, it, you'll see that Britain is kind of imitating or is influenced by this, even the way his melodic writing is. The Bartok goes. It has the same kind of weaving in half steps that Britain is using. So what happens is the Celesta comes in the Bartok and this is, you get this amazing texture. You're not even sure what you're hearing. It sounds unworldly. And the reason it's unworldly is the Celesta is going, you know, uh, and it's so, but it's bells, so it creates a, a buzz. And that's exactly what Britain does at the end of this Pasacalia. Listen to this, how effective and unworldly and beautiful it is. Uh, you know, foreshadowing all the tragedy. Sounds like the Bartok, doesn't it? So this will be a treat to listen to. Notice, too, I was just this morning, uh, we were talking about um, Hulse Planet Suite, Mars. When you have an ostinato, which is something that repeats over and over, like this Pasacalia, repeats dum, bum, 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 bum. What's really interesting, whenever you hear something that repeats a lot, always ask yourself as a listener, how long is that going to go? <laughs> and what happens when it stops? So here in the Britain piece, when it stops, this Celesta comes in and just puts it in a different dimension. And that's not an accent. You know, probably what Britain was thinking. The, from the beginning, this whole thing was going to lead up to this great moment. So uh, I think this gives you plenty of ammunition to really enjoy uh, the Pasacalia. You don't need any help from me to love 4A. Uh, the 4A Peleus and Melisande is a lot easier to digest than uh, the Debussy. Uh, on a first hearing. This is the famous Sicilian. Right? I mean, there's nothing you need for that except it's just the beauty of those chords. That's the one that kills you, the half-diminished chord. That's what all romantic music, by the way, if you didn't know this, it's built on this chord. That's the chord of the Tristan chord of Wagner. And, you, and Debussy's favorite chord, too, and Ravel's favorite chord, and clearly Foray's favorite chord. Because if you didn't have that, it would go. You know. 
as my mother would do. Uh, <laughs> she told me that was pink elephants, I guess, a jazz tune. So it's so interesting that he does it different. Instead of a... Uh, that makes all the difference. And then when it comes back, instead of going, it goes, goes one step lower. And that's when you go, ah. <laughs> yeah, so um, as, as it continues, uh, let me, this harm, the same thing. The next phrase goes like this. Um, I'm sorry. So that's interesting. It starts with that chord. That half diminished chord. Uh. Okay, so uh, and then it goes right to the same chord. That half diminished chord, the chord of passion. back so this he actually wrote this piece before he had the job for Peleus and Melisande so this was an older work that he put into it but it was so much so much the idea of, of it. It's, it how many of you know Debussy's great opera Peleus and Melisande it's it's uh, I, I get a talk here on that and it's it's definitely worth your time that is a deep masterwork on a different order but this is an extraordinary piece of music and I want to just show you a little bit about it so you can really truly enjoy it so that's that beautiful Sicilian the way it opens the French are really really had a mystical idea at this time they were if you know the French impressionist painting you know that it really goes to another dimension and one of the things that's so interesting is the idea of whether life is real or a dream. And so one of the things you notice is things, the music like suddenly disappears and then you get like deja vu. And so this is how it begins, uh, the Pele Foray. Beautiful phrase. And then silence. It's a very different experience. And when I first heard this, it reminded me of Debussy's Afternoon of a Fawn that does the exact same thing where you're not sure, did I hear it or did I fall asleep or did I dream it? And this is Debussy from Afternoon of a Fawn. And it just stops. Placement of silence is so important. 
And it was, it's so obviously intentional. And it's, it's very original. To repeat something is not original. But to, put, to write in the music a silence. So that, that silence is kind of the compositional idea. Does that make sense? And I just think that's kind of, you hear that right at the beginning. It, it sets the music in a different world. Now, the music, when it builds, you'll notice that it's very gentle. The chords are gentle, but they never settle. They're always growing into something else. Listen to what happens a little later with this climax. So every resolution seems to lead to another dissonance, which leads to another. He learned this from a guy named Richard Wagner. Here's Tristan. And Tristan's the same thing. Every time you think you've arrived somewhere, he keeps going on again. You know, it's always frustrating in the right way. It's such, you're never satisfied. Looks like here we're going to resolve, right? Right here then it goes right on. Now listen to the foray, the same idea. This is foray now. Is that making sense to you? It's kind of, I mean, I think you could like, even though the, the, it's speaking in a different dialect, one's in French, one's in German, you could kind of go back and forth between the two of them. They share the same commonality of never, never sitting in repose for, for an actual cadence. And I think that's kind of interesting. So that's the first movement of it. It ends with a hunting horn. And if you know the story of Peleus and Melisande, this, this is where Melisande is, is first discovered. Um, by Pelis's brother, and so you hear a hunting horn. It's a beautiful, after all this abstract music, it kind of, it, it's, it puts it in such a, almost like a fuzzy Monet distance to hear this horn. So, I mean, I could have gone on for an hour of that. But let's talk briefly about La Mer. Um, La Mer is, I call it the greatest orchestral, orchestral work. And the reason I say that is because, um, and I, how many of you are hearing La Mer for the first time? Is there anyone hearing La Mer for the first time? No one. Everyone knows it. Okay, a couple of people are hearing it for the first time. It, it is, it's called the sea, La Mer, but I don't think that's really what it is. I would call it the orchestra because... Every, what makes this piece so revolutionary and different is that the melodies, there's melodies in it, there's tunes, but that's not, the tunes only exist to show off the instruments <laughs> in a certain way. In other words, the orchestra itself 
the, 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 the beauty of the oboe the, in this register, the beauty of the French horn in this register, the beauty of doubling a bassoon with a clarinet, that's what this piece is about, about constantly discovering new textures. And when you listen to it, since you all know it, try to listen with a beginner's ear to it. It's, it's so fascinating how he creates worlds of texture. First of all, he does that with harmony, too. It starts off with uh, the first movement. By I'll just talk about the first movement, which is kind of interesting because it ends in a completely different key than it begins. Already interesting. And then you, you instead of a normal major scale, you start with a pentatonic. So. And then you get the only motive you need to know through the whole piece of Lomere. It's this. <laughs> Can you all hum that? And. Now, you see, you've got to do the first note faster. Ba-ba, and. Ah. That you don't need to know anything else about the piece. That's it. Except, I mean, except that that doesn't tell you anything. Except for that. So. Then, it's very quiet, though. And then. So you have this world, and then the violins just shimmer. And then, right? That's your motive? <laughs> um. and, then the, and then the first theme. different world than we began. Did you notice that? He's not doing... It's, it's so far from that, but the analogs are the same. You have one area and then another area. Very modal, a totally different color. And then... And then the way he gets to a second theme, it's, it's, so, it's so amazing because... And then from here, just boom, like that. So you've gone from this world, and then... <laughs> so that's his. <laughs> totally, but you feel that, and the orchestration changes. So even on the piano, you can hear, and then you, and then you get the second theme. So let's listen to how he uses harmony and uses the orchestra to color these things. It's the first time music is really about the color of sound rather than the than the melodies you hum. So let me get to that. We may need to turn this up a little bit, Kevin. You can't tell what the rhythm is. You can't tell anything. It's just this very low kind of color. And then suddenly this high register. And the beautiful woodwinds. 
just splashes of color, no real thematic material. Wow, what a different kind of world. Never in music before had that color been created. An English horn doubling trumpet like that, a muted trumpet like that. Every page of the score, when you go through it, is like this. It creates a brand, it's like a, each one is a painting. And, and so when you hear, when you're sitting in your seats in Disney Hall here, in this great hall, listening to this great orchestra, focus on the fact that every single splash of color was, was a unique creation of Debussy's. And that, that's why I find every time I hear this piece, it's like hearing it for the first time. Now, if we didn't have the maestro and, the, and, and our soloist here, I would have spent the whole time talking about La Mer, but we ran out of time. So I want you to hear the concert. But I, so I just opened a little crack of a window on this piece. Another time I'll do more. But I want to thank you so much for listening and singing my books around if you need to sign it, and have a great concert. Okay? Thank you. <laughs>